Let us pray. Father in heaven, let us hear of your steadfast love in Christ, for in you we trust. Make us know the way we should go, for to you we lift up our souls. Deliver us from our enemies, O Lord. We have fled to you for refuge. And teach us to do your will, for you are our God. Let your good spirit lead us on level ground. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in God's word to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. Comes after 2 Chronicles and Ezra, Nehemiah. Maybe not the first place we always turn in our Bibles, but a good place to turn from time to time and to think about what God's Word has to teach us. I want to read from Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning at verse 15, and read through verse 22. So Nehemiah chapter 13, beginning at verse 15, and reading through verse 22. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own Word. Nehemiah writes, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods, and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah." In Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice, but I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, Nehemiah takes the Sabbath day pretty seriously. Um, Don't come again or I will lay hands on you. Uh, One of the great great verses of scripture, right? Um, I will lay hands on you. Um, This is a a powerful text. It tells us that um, God's people are to take the Sabbath day very holy. There's a certain uh, punch that comes in what Nehemiah has to say to the nobles of Judah when he says, you know, we've gone back to doing the exact sort of thing we went into exile for. One of, the, one of the things that God really hated was our idolatry. The other thing God really hated was how we violate the Lord's Day. It was our violations of the Sabbath that, that caused us to be driven out of this city in the first place. Right? And Nehemiah can point around at a city that's been destroyed and is being rebuilt. 
and say, do you remember what happened to this place? And do you remember why it happened? Um, so he takes it in matters into his own hands to bar the doors and to keep the Sabbath day from being profaned. Um, he takes the Sabbath day holy. He, he takes it as a holy day and he takes it seriously. Um, and maybe that surprises us how seriously the Sabbath day is taken in, in the scriptures. He threatens to lay hands on people who would violate the Lord's day. We might think of the passage in Numbers 15 where someone is out gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Doesn't seem a, a major thing to do, but seems to be a violation of law. So they put him in custody till the Lord reveals what they're, what they're to do with him. And when the Lord reveals what they're to do with him, they're to take him out and the whole congregation is to stone him for violating the Lord's day for violating the Sabbath. Um, Nehemiah takes it seriously. Moses takes it seriously because God takes it seriously. Um, I don't know how much we think about the Sabbath day to the extent we really think about it much at all. Um, we might think about the Ten Commandments, and we certainly hold, a, hold the Ten Commandments in high esteem. The Ten Commandments are often read. There are people who would like to see the Ten Commandments up in schools and in courtrooms. Um, and we would never say that any of the Ten Commandments are not still in force. Um, but when it comes to the Fourth Commandment, we don't really know what to do with it. When we come to that commandment that we're to keep the Sabbath day holy, we, we wonder what we're to do with it. And some people will go to places like Colossians 2 or Romans 14 and say, well, you know, the Sabbath just doesn't apply anymore. But that would seem a strange thing, first of all, because when Jesus came in Matthew 5, what did he say? I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. In fact, he said, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away. Right? And so Jesus doesn't come to abolish the law, and there's no other one of the Ten Commandments we would say has been abolished or set aside. Um, so what are we to do with this law? Um, on the one hand, we don't want to be legalists. We don't want to make the mistake of Pharisees and say there's a law where there is no law. Um, on the other hand, we don't want to be, here's a fancy word, antinomians. People who take the law and don't obey it at all, think the law no longer applies. Where the Lord gives us a law, we want to follow his law. We want to know how to follow it in a way that's pleasing to him. Um, the other reason we should follow this law is not just because God takes this day seriously, but because he's given it to us to be a blessing. Now maybe if you grew up in a strict Sabbatarian home that, that made you observe the Sabbath day, it didn't always feel like a blessing on that day. Um, it felt like the day of no, where you couldn't, you couldn't do anything. Um, we don't want to make it that either. God gave it to us not to be a burden. He gave it to us to be a joy. Um, and that's, always, that's also the kind of perplexing thing that, that Christians wouldn't have a place for this day because it's such a blessing that God has given to us. Where he says, you know, there's six days where you have plenty to do and six days that you can spend doing all the things that you have to do. But I'm reserving this day to myself so that you can rest. So that you can be refreshed. And so it's not just the kind of thing where, you know, it's, it's time for the yearly harangue from the reform minister on the Lord's Day, okay? Um, it, it can turn into that, and we don't want it to turn into that. 
Um, it's especially not a good idea to harangue the evening worship crowd. I mean, these are the people that take the Sabbath day seriously, right? I mean, you're preaching to the choir if you're harassing them about the Lord's day. Uh, we don't want to harass people about the law, right? We, we've said the law is a law of gratitude. We know that we're pleasing God when we do the things that are pleasing to him. And he gave this to be a blessing to us. And it's a way that we can show our gratitude to him in keeping his law. And so we know it's serious, and so we want to treat it seriously and keep it without teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Um, And so we have to navigate carefully through this commandment and do what God would have us do. And so as we think about it, what is God's will for us in the fourth commandment? Um, I want to think together about how we are to busy ourselves with our holy work and rest from our busy work. We're to busy ourselves with our holy work and rest from our busy work. And we're to remember the rest that has come and is coming. That's also an important part of the Sabbath day. To remember the rest that has come and the rest that is coming. Um, And so that's what I want to think about those two points um, for our consideration of uh, how we are to honor the Lord's day. We're to busy ourselves with our holy work. There's plenty plenty of work for us to do on the Lord's day. That comes across very clearly in question 103. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. The the Sabbath has its own work to do. Um, It has work for the church to do. The church is to maintain the gospel ministry. We talked about that a little bit this morning, the wonderful privilege of bringing the very joyous message that there's a Savior who's come to save his people from their sins, that we're to repent of our sins, that we're to cling to him in true faith, and know that in him we have salvation, we're right with God, we're heirs to everlasting life. We need to hear that very joyous message proclaimed to us again and again so that we don't forget who we are. We have that privilege of coming, and the church has that function. The church is not keeping the Lord's day if we don't preach the gospel, right? Preaching and teaching is the function of the church. That's what the church is to do on the Lord's day. Uh, But it doesn't do us much good to preach if nobody's here to hear it or to teach to empty classrooms. And so the church not only has a responsibility, but individual Christians have a responsibility to gather and make use of that preaching and teaching. That we diligently attend the assembly of God's people, to learn what God's word teaches. Uh, We need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God has given us a regular day to do that, uh, that we can be regularly instructed about who Jesus is um, and and what he's come to do for us and how we are to grow in him. Uh, We need that. We can't figure it out on our own. Uh, We can't be self-feeders. Um, Think of when Philip comes to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading God's word. He doesn't know what to make of it. Um, And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone helps me? Right? We need teaching. We all need that. Um, I spend my week studying for sermons, all, all appearances to the contrary, notwithstanding. I spend my week studying for sermons so that it's spoken to me before I try to speak it to you. Um, so that I've been taught by God's word, that I've entreated his spirit to open it to me, that I might open it to you. So nobody's exempted in this, 
in this requirement to read and to learn and to stand under the word and to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why we always say, no preacher has rightly preached a sermon until he's preached it to himself first. Now, those of us who are learning to preach should keep that in mind as well, right? That we, we need to preach it to ourselves first before we preach it to other people. Um, we all need that gospel ministry. We always all need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Because in the course of six days, we can forget. Or it can become clouded enough that we need to be shaken again um, to have that revealed to us once again, that good news of the gospel that's not just for others, but for me too. And so I need to be here when the gospel's preached. We all need to be here when the gospel's preached to attend, to learn what it teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to have those things reinforced for us through the participation of the sacraments so that we hear the word and then we see the word confirmed. Uh, we need that in the sacraments. Um, we need to pray to the Lord publicly. Uh, we need to pray to the Lord together. Prayer is an important part of what we do on the Lord's Day. That's a particular challenge for us because when the pastor comes to the quote-unquote long prayer, that's the technical theological term for the pastoral prayer, the long prayer. Um, when, the, when it comes to long prayer, it's hard to follow the pastor. Um, here's the Calvinist comfort. Things used to be worse. Um, pastors used to pray for a lot longer and everyone would stand while they prayed. It used to be, you know, people talk about how long the Puritan worship services were and they say, well, man, we just don't preach like that anymore. Well, it's, it's that, not just that if we don't pray like that anymore either because they used to pray the congregational prayer for about an hour. Yeah, right? Um, we used to play, pray the congregational prayer for about an hour and we'd all be standing while it happened. Um, and you can imagine that there's probably a lot of ministers who couldn't pray for an hour straight without some filler, without saying the same things again and again, without repeating themselves. And I read something on public prayer once where they were commenting on a young preacher said, he's, a great, he's great, he can pray for a whole hour without repeating himself. Um, prayer is an important part of our worship service, but it's a challenge, isn't it, to follow along. Now, I don't pray for an hour. might feel like it, but I don't. Um, I don't even pray for 15 minutes, which is what the book I read was saying. It said, preaching, praying for an hour is crazy. You need to pray 15 minutes is good. Um, if I prayed for 15 minutes, that would feel like forever. Um, it'd feel like one day when my sister in church, when she figured that the pastor had prayed for long enough, as a little kid said, amen, out loud, because she thought, that's enough. It's over. Um, it's just time to stop. Um, but it's an important part, and, and even though it's hard for us to focus, it's hard for us to pray along, it's an important thing for us to come and do together. It's important because we're reminded of things that we don't usually pray for that we need to be praying for. Um, it's a reminder of, of the needs in the congregation, the needs in the world, right? Um, it can be helpful for us when we hear, as we heard this morning, that we have a missionary in Quito, Ecuador, who's in the midst of the violence that's going on there, and we need to lift him up and lift up our brothers and sisters in prayer. Maybe we, we lose sight of that during the week, that there are other people in the world who don't enjoy the privileges we enjoy, that there are brothers and sisters, they're part of the body of Christ with us, and they are suffering and need us to pray for them. And it could be a reminder to us, yes, I need to do that. I've not been praying enough for the church under the cross. Calling on the Lord publicly together is very important uh, for us to do. Uh, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. 
Um, it was nice to see that that was, not, that was not planned this evening, but the offering this evening was for the Benevolent Fund. Um, and if you don't know what the Benevolent Fund is for, it's for people who are in need, primarily within our church, but also people in the community that come asking for help. Um, and so we did that as an act of worship tonight. We, we gave offerings for the poor, for those who can't support themselves. These are all important works to be doing on this day that God has set aside uh, for our worship. Um, and, and if we start neglecting these things, uh, not only will we sort of pay for it spiritually, because we won't be receiving the instruction and the edification that God has meant for us, but we'll also be sinning. Right? God's word says, don't neglect the coming together as some are in the habit of doing. Um, and so we shouldn't be here, we should always be here, and we should never be absent unless there's a good reason for it. Um, and, and usually that boils down to we want to be here, but for some reason can't. And if we can't be here, we try to be somewhere else. Um, that's how we maintain this day, because all of those things are important for us. To, to preserve this day and to reserve this day for the work that God has given us to do on it. Right? We, we always will confess that the whole world belongs to him. We, we don't have any problem saying all seven days belong to him. And it's another testimony to his goodness to us where he said, I've made seven days in a week. You can have six of them. Right? God would have done us no injustice if he said, I'm going to keep six for myself. You can have one. Right? Um, they're his days all the way. But, but again, look at the goodness of our God. I'll give you six to do with whatever you want to do. To do your work. To do the things you need to do. But I'm reserving this one day for my work. For the works that you need for your spiritual life. And for our fellowship together. Uh, that you can rest. That you can be reminded of the things that are true. Um, and so we're not to skip church for for trivial reasons and not be here um, because it's for our holy rest and reflection. That, that's why the catechism calls it a festive day of rest. It's not always because church feels like going to a party. Um, we, we know that. But what is the celebration that's happening? We're rejoicing again in who we are in the Lord. That not only are we coming together as his people out of the world to fellowship together, but we're being brought before the presence of our Father in heaven. We're being brought into the presence of our God that we're getting to fellowship with Him. And there's a joy that should always come to God's people when we have the opportunity to do that. To meet with our Lord in a particular way or to enjoy that time where the Lord in His marvelous grace to us comes to be with us. Right, That promise where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. That's, that's what's really going on on the Lord's day. The Lord is coming to be with his people. The Lord is coming, and that's, that's cause for rejoicing. That's cause for celebration. That's cause for not missing it. Um, you know, I've, had a, I've had occasion before with people who say, well, you know, Pastor, I don't know why we should come to the evening service. Um, and I, I say to them, would you come if I promised that Jesus would be there tonight? And everyone, you know, you already know where it's going. And the people I'm talking to already know where I'm going with it. But, I, but Jesus will be there, right? That's what he's promising to do. 
and we wouldn't want to miss it. It's, it's a sad commentary on our own sinfulness that God has given us a day where he says, I want you to rest. I want you to rejoice. Come and rejoice with me in what's true of our fellowship together. We're anticipating the glorious day of fellowship we'll one, we'll one day have in glory forever. And we say, uh, you know what? There's a football game on. I've got something better to do. Um, that's kind of a sad commentary, isn't, isn't it, on us? That, that the one commandment we, we don't even know if it's still in force anymore is the one where he comes to us and says, take a day and rest. And we say, I'm not sure I like that law. Um, it, it's for our good. And why does God establish it? It's one of those really interesting commandments in that it was, it was there when the world began. It was built into this world. That, that cycle of work and rest that God was the first one to follow it. And there's something in that that we should really take note of and not miss, that that's the way God works in covenant. That there's there's a way that he tends to work that's glorious to behold. Um, Meredith Klein pointed this out in a way that was helpful to me, so I won't quote him because that won't be helpful to you, but I'll summarize what he says. He says, in covenant life with God, you see a cycle in his holy actions that always ends in rest. God acts, he accomplishes his purpose, and rejoicing, he rests. And we can see that in creation, can't we? God acts. He acts to create all things. And he labors until that creation is finished. And having acted, he's accomplished everything that he set out to do. And he surveys it and he rejoices because it's very good. And then he, rejoicing, rests on the seventh day and makes it holy. Um, It's really interesting that, that the Bible says not only did he rest, but he was refreshed on that day. We read that in in Exodus 31, 16 and 17. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. That's really interesting. Because it's not as if God gets tired by his six days of work. It's not as if God needed to rest after he created, as if it was somehow hard for him. And so if he's not resting for himself, who's he resting for? He's resting for us. He's showing us a pattern that we're to work and we're to accomplish the work we have and rejoicing we're to rest with our God. He does that in creation. He does that in redemption. Um, That's why I read from Deuteronomy this morning when the Ten Commandments were reminded there that God was a God who redeemed his people out of slavery. That God came as a redeeming God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He came as a redeemer there, not just as a creator, as a redeemer. And he acted to redeem his people said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he didn't stop until his people were let go. And when they tried to take them back into possession, he destroyed those who afflicted his people. He came to be a redeemer. He acted, he accomplished his work, and rejoicing the people of God rested. 
They sang that wonderful song in Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Um, he acts, he accomplishes, and rejoicing, his people rest. And of course, the same thing happens finally in, in his saving work by the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ comes into the world to save his people from their sins. That's why he's to be given the name Jesus, because he'll save his people from their sins. And he works. Um, he comes in as a perfect son, and he lives a perfect life, and he dies a sacrificial death. And he lays down his life and he picks it up again and he ascends into heaven to go to be at the right hand of his father for his people. And what happens when, after he goes? His disciples go and they rejoice. They go to the temple and worship his name. Even in that great work of redemption, God acts and he accomplishes his purpose and rejoicing, we all rest. It's a pattern that God gives us to follow. Um, it's a pattern that we need to keep in mind so that we can work and then rest from the things that normally interfere with our ability to be wholly devoted to our God. That he's given us the tremendous blessing of this day so that we can act and having accomplished our purposes for the week, we can rest and rejoice with our brothers and sisters and with our God. It's a pattern that's to come in our lives um, and it also helps us to remember the rest that has come and the rest that is coming. Um, six days we labor and do all our work, and the seventh day we rest as a Sabbath to our God. Uh, and that was always the Old Testament pattern. You work for six days and then you rest on the seventh day. And what was that teaching God's people to keep in mind? Now we work and one day we rest. Um, and if, if they didn't get that, then they had Sabbaths of months and they had Sabbaths of years and they had Sabbaths of groups of years. God was really wanting them to understand this principle. That you work and then you rest. And that was a whole pattern that was set up. You work and then you rest. The rest comes at the end of the labor. And then Jesus finishes his work. Um, and he rests in the grave on that last Sabbath day. And then he rises from the dead on the first day of the week. And everything changes. Because now it's not a pattern of working, waiting for rest. Now the rest has come. The Lord has risen from the dead. The old order is no more. There's a new order now. Now we begin with rest. We don't always think this way because for us this feels like the end of the week and then we're going into the week tomorrow. We call this the weekend, right? Um, and I'm not trying to advocate for a new understanding of the weekend. Uh, but what I am saying is Christ's resurrection has radically changed things. That's why the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is on Sunday. It's the first day of the week. The day that the Lord rose from the dead. So that we go into our work having seen the rest that's accomplished already. So we don't have to work waiting for the rest to come with that orientation. We work knowing rest has come because the Lord is risen. 
That's why the apostles gathered together on the first day of the week. That's why they preached on the first day of the week. That's why everything happened on the first day of the week. They took offerings on the first day of the week. That's why in the book of Revelation, John is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Because Christ, by his apostolic command as Lord of the Sabbath through his apostles, changed the the Sabbath day from the seventh day to the first day. Because that was the day he rose from the dead. And it becomes for us a day that reminds us of that victory, of that rest that's been accomplished by the sacrifice of the Son of God, and it reminds us of the rest that awaits God's people. Notice that there's an aspect of the eternal Sabbath in the second commandment as well, or in the fourth commandment, the second part of our our understanding of God's law. It doesn't just focus our attention on what we're to do on this day, but it focuses our attention on the eternal Sabbath. The second part of question 103 says, Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through his spirit. And so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was the beginning of the end. In a profound, profound sense, it was the end of the beginning. It's finished but it was also a beginning of the end. His rest promises a rest for us. His rest is not in isolation. Right? His rest is the first fruit of a harvest of rest that's coming. And so what are we also to do with this day? We're to recognize that in a sense we've begun already to live as part of the eternal Sabbath. That we rest from our wicked deeds that we rest through that every day of my life, that I let the Lord work in me through His Spirit, that I submit to Him, and I begin already to live in that eternal Sabbath that's coming. See how the resurrection of Christ promises that everything is going to soon be made new? That's why every time we talk about the Christian life and what we're searching to do in the Christian life, we talk about it in terms of being who we are. Not trying to make ourselves into something we're not. We don't transform ourselves by living the Christian life. We've been transformed by the resurrected Christ and by his spirit. And we are trying to live more and more in this life what we will one day be. But the Sabbath reminds us now that rest has come. Rest has come because Christ has overcome. He acted, he accomplished, and rejoicing, he's entered into his rest. And he promises that all who belong to him will enter that rest also. And so this doesn't only need to be a one day of the week thing that we think about, but every day of our lives we we realize we've entered the eternal Sabbath. It's happened spiritually. It will one day happen fully and in consummated glory. But it has really happened. We have rest from our sins in Christ. We have rest from condemnation that we don't need to fear because Christ has overcome. We can rest in who we are now and know that one day we will rest in glory. And how is that glory presented to God's people? As a festive day of rest. Not with work to do, but with a celebration, a marriage supper of the Lamb, a time to sit around and fellowship 
a festive day of rest. And then we'll really understand what it is to have a Sabbath. And it will be an eternal Sabbath. One that will never be broken up. The party that just goes on and on and on. That's the glory of the rest that's coming. And that's the beauty of this day that God has given us, that it anticipates that. Gives us right now holy work to do in anticipation of that eternal Sabbath that's coming. Um, And so like Nehemiah did, let's bar the gates against anything that would interfere with the blessing of the Sabbath. Let's make sure that we protect this day in our lives to be built up by the Spirit of our God, to be able to rejoice together and to rest and rejoice. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, help us to keep this day holy. Thank you for explaining from your word why you've intended this day for us and what a glorious blessing you've given. Thank you for the rest that we've experienced today. and We pray that that would strengthen us for the week to come. Help us to go into this week knowing that Christ has overcome, that we are uh, by faith united to him in the salvation that he has worked, that we need to fear no darkness, but can look forward to the light of life coming with him again. We look forward to that great day when the sun will rise with, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, where we will be brought together to glory, the whole church together, celebrating a day of rest that we rejoice together and with our, our own God, how we look forward to that day and long for it. Help us to, to be able to see small glimpses of that great day in this day that you've given to us. Help us to reflect on the glorious work of Christ, that he is risen, that he is coming, and resting may we rejoice. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.